Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. We set sail from Troyes and took a straight course to Semothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the gate by the river where we were supposed to place a prayer we sat down and spoke to the woman who was gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay in my home. And she prevailed upon us. You know, there was this experience that my wife and I got to share together, and it, and it almost didn't happen. I didn't know that we had to reserve a time to get into the park. We went to... Uh, go to hike the Narrows in Zion National Park. And uh, we were there to celebrate uh, Brittany's birthday, I think. My wife loves to be outside and in nature, and um, I like to support my wife. And so we went to go hike the Narrows, a bucket list item for her. It is this uh, gorge that runs through this uh, incredible site. I mean, we're talking about these walls of cliff on either side of you as you snake along through uh, this river. But, but I didn't know you had to make a reservation. So we had gotten to the place where we were going to stay. We had gotten our gear out, and uh, there were some reserved spots that opened up 24 hours before you entered the park. And so I was there on unstable Wi-Fi, refreshing my phone to be able to get these final spots to get into the park, and I got them. <laughs> but it almost didn't happen. We got there, it was uh, before dark when we entered the park, we plunged into this cold water and we followed the narrows. I brought uh, some pictures from that hike. Um, there we are, it was unbelievable. The sun rose and painted the gorge walls that had been formed over millions of years. Br Brittany and I had to grab onto each other and give thanks for the hiking poles that she insisted that we bring, even though I thought I wouldn't need them. And I was wrong. I needed them. And we traversed these rocks and waterfalls and twists, and it almost didn't happen. Do you ever think about the things that, that almost didn't happen in your life? These chance moments, interactions, a meeting, an experience. Maybe you have some regret about some things that you missed out on. We give thanks to God today as we reflect on stewardship, or that is the care for all that God has given us, entrusted us with. And as we do that, we come across this story in the book of Acts that almost didn't happen. 
but because of an openness to let God do what God wants to do in the people that we meet in the story, it happens. It's a, people, a story where people refuse to ignore the nudge of God and they themselves become catalysts for spiritual change, both in themselves and in those they meet because God moved among them. So before we talk about Lydia and the text that Amanda read for us this morning, I want to move backwards in the story a bit to see what was happening first. Paul and, and a group of early Christian missionaries, uh, Timothy and Silas we know are with him, perhaps also is Luke who wrote this book of Acts, although we aren't sure. They're, they're sharing the good news of Jesus all over the world as the early church is miraculously being formed by the power of God and in Acts 16, 6 through 10, we find this. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come opposite Myasia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Myasia, they went down to Tros, and during the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when they had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. I love this bizarre little passage about this journey. Now, the names of the places can be a bit overwhelming. I had to practice them. But these are cities and provinces in the Roman Empire, and the names that we find, they don't necessarily line up with the names we might use today for these same places. And for some reason, as this group of Christians are journeying to try to share the good news about Jesus, they're kind of pushed and pulled in different directions, forbidden from going some places. I wish we got more details here. <laughs> Like, exactly, how did you know? What did it mean when you felt like you couldn't go or you were forbidden by the Holy Spirit? I don't know. But they're prevented from taking the mission where they were intending to go at first and instead find themselves in a different place. Now, God is not opposed to the good news reaching any of these people. We'll see later that the good news will get to these regions. But at this moment, at this time, they have to go around. Perhaps you yourself have found yourself stuck or stopped despite your best plans or intentions. And what I love about these missionaries is that they just keep on going. They keep moving. They keep being open to what God may do. They use their minds, their reason, their intentions to go. And as they're going, God is nudging and directing and helping, meeting them all the time. But that's a whole other sermon. Paul gives them this vision that he has. There's this man in Macedonia saying, come help! And that is clear. They respond. That takes us to this passage that Amanda read for us. The story of God nudging these people as they go and they move, looking for God to work and responding when God does. They head to Macedonia. They head to the town Philippi, the text says. It is a leading city, the only city described with this phrase in the New Testament, and a Roman colony. What does that mean? What was Philippi like? 
Well, Philippi is unique because it's a particular kind of Roman city. You see, there had been a victory there for the Roman Empire, and because of it, Philippi had a certain level of importance and distinction. Rome had decided to place military troops there, and it had become a large center both for trade and for the military. And because of its elevated state, it, it had a special relationship with Rome. Unlike the cities around it in the region, it was considered to be what is basically Roman soil rather than a Roman colony. That means if you were in Philippi, it was considered that you were actually in Rome proper, Italian soil outside of Italy. It is sort of like how perhaps a United States embassy on foreign land would be considered U.S. soil. And with that elevated state, that meant that the people there didn't have to pay the taxes of those around them. They had special privileges. It was a place that was diverse and powerful, where Caesar was lord and commerce was king. It was a place where the social order was absolute. They did not want to mess with the status they had been given. It was unlike anywhere else these missionaries had been yet. But with obedience, Paul and his companions set up camp. They respond to the vision. And then we get this in Acts 16, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside, outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there, and a certain woman named Lydia a worshiper of God was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira, a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to eagerly listen to what was said by Paul. And then she and her household, they were baptized, and she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. So typically when Paul and the missionaries would enter into a new city, their first stop would be to go to the Jewish synagogue, find the worshipers there on the Sabbath, and begin to tell them the good news of Jesus, the hope that had been found, that Christ had come, died, raised to new life, that God was doing something new, welcoming all kinds of people into the family of God, bringing forgiveness and hope. But it appears in Philippi there is no such place. Paul adapts to the new reality. Instead, they go outside. And there by a river, they find people praying. It was common in this day. If there was no synagogue or place of worship, people who worship God would go and worship God in nature, usually by a river. And here we meet Lydia. That would have been uncommon in this day and time to draw this amount of attention to a woman but the church is breaking all kinds of cultural barriers. And Lydia illustrates this. She's likely a single woman. She has a home. She has a trade. And she's a person of prayer. So I read this text, I have to wonder how many Sabbaths Lydia had gone down to the river to pray. How many Sundays have you found yourself in worship and prayer? How often have you found yourself in a place in nature where you can go and be still and reflect, speak to God? If you don't have a place in nature, I recommend you find one. I even do it as a non-nature person. How often have we raised prayers to God and wondered if God was 
listening, if anything might happen. I wonder how many times Lydia watched that river roll past her, constant yet always changing, imagining what God might be doing upstream or downstream and wondering if God could even use her. And she prays. And something happens. It almost didn't happen. But Paul, in a dream, saw this man asking for help. He goes. He finds these women in Macedonia and, and doesn't move past them, even though his dream was about a man. No, he shares with them. Not only did Lydia find more than she expected when she set out to go to the river that day, Paul found people he likely wasn't expecting either. And they could have ignored each other, but they don't. They're receptive. God moves and works. See, I believe God does something when we show up with our full selves. As writer Roland Colturner says, she came to the riverside to a secluded place of prayer. Perhaps she expected to meet other women, Jewish worshipers or Gentile seekers for prayer together. Perhaps she came regularly. What she didn't know was on this particular day, outside the city gates, she would be met by Paul and his companions, missionaries looking for anyone who was seeking God in this hidden place of prayer. And there at the riverside, Lydia found the God who was finding her. Here is the center of the story the moment of intersection between human obedience and divine initiative, longing and grace meet there on the bank of the river, longing of a heart of a faithful woman, opened by the gracious impulse of a faith-giving God in action that, like the incarnation itself, is at once fully human and fully divine. The text tells us in Acts 16.15 that that when she and her household were baptized, she urged us, it says, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. I love Lydia. She becomes a follower of Jesus, and, and, then, and then she tells everybody in her household, they, they do as well, they're baptized. And then she demands that Paul and his companions stay at her house. Now, to stay in a single woman's home would have been a cultural no-no. But now, they are siblings in Christ. See, this encounter she has with Jesus sparks generosity in her, a stewardship of all that she has and all that she is. She uses her full personality, her full strength, her full everything. She prevails upon them. I love that language. It implies she pushed them outside of what was comfortable for them, what was natural for them. She uses her gifts, her resources, herself for the work of God. She wasn't too much. She wasn't not enough. She was seen by God and she responds with her full self. She shows up with her full self and God does something. In the history of the church, too often, women have been told to be quiet or be less or be ignored. Now that's all just hatred and prejudice imported from our cultures. No, we need Lydia's to be their full selves. You know some Lydia's in your life. We need to hear 
We need to hear how God uses Lydia. Listen, you aren't too much. You are enough. You are seen by God. You can respond to God with your full self. I want to tell you a story about uh, my friend Michael. He's really friends with his parents. Michael was 12 years old when this happened, and at Christmas time, Michael's family liked to uh, give gifts uh, to people who had need in the world. They had this catalog where you could pick out something to give to somebody in need, you know, like a chicken or a goat. It would go somewhere to help somebody at Christmas time. The family gave Michael the catalog and asked him to pick something out that they could demonstrate their stewardship and their thankfulness to God by giving a gift to someone who needed it. And Michael said to his parents, I would like to donate a school. Excuse me? His dad said, you would like to donate a school. Yes. His dad said, okay, Michael, why don't you sleep on it? We can talk about it tomorrow. This is a classic parenting tactic, right? If we just delay, perhaps they'll forget. Michael didn't forget. He told his parents, I prayed about it. I think I'm supposed to donate a school. Michael felt that it was wrong that there were kids who couldn't get the education that they needed. That there's something wrong in the world where he had access to these things and others didn't. He sensed it in his bone that, that, if, that if God loved him and provided for him, he, he should help other people. He was supposed to donate a school. His parents did not dissuade him. <laughs> they tried to figure out how do we even make this work. They, they reached out to different organizations. Eventually, they found someone willing to help them. And Michael began a journey. He mowed a lot of lawns, a lot of lawns. He raised a lot of money, and eventually he raised $30,000. And he had a school built in Gulu, Uganda. The organization that he worked with that did this work, they actually brought him out once it was complete to see it, opened up. I brought a photo of Michael. Uh, he would be a little embarrassed now that he's like 22 years old, but this is him as a 12-year-old at his school. I think about Michael often, about a kid who fell in love with Jesus and it changed the, what he thought he could do, a kid who brought his whole self, even a childlike lack of cynicism, <laughs> and God did something. It almost didn't happen, right? His parents could have said, yeah, let's go with the chicken. Other grown-ups could have said, that's too foolish, there's no way. They said, well, well what if? And the Spirit shook things up, just like the Spirit still shakes things up today, just like the Spirit shook up these men in the story. They had to be prevailed upon. <laughs> Personally, I don't like to inconvenience people. It's one of my biggest fears and my biggest flaws. I do, however, love to help. Perhaps some of you are like that, people who love to help but hate to ask for help. Anybody in the room? You don't have to raise your hand. I see you shifting uncomfortably. Yes. Many of us, like my two-year-olds like to say, say, I can do it myself. I imagine Paul and these missionaries had a similar disposition. I mean, they were willing to go to the ends of the earth. Think of what they can do. But Lydia won't let them get away with believing that. She won't let them prevent her from sharing her resources. She's persistent. She teaches these men to accept her generosity. Who knows how much these travel-weary troop needed her gift. 
Like Michael, she reminded them that faith is dogged and hopeful and God does more than we might expect in places we might not expect. Like the river in that gorge, she cuts through them and they accept what they need. Lydia breaks all these cultural norms, shows us how God can elevate people from diverse backgrounds and cultures and economics. We wonder how we might respond to this God who finds us where we are. As we stand in the long river of faithful people, how might we respond? In our particular lives, in this church, this community, the river of God's story snakes through history the history of BCWC, to this moment where each of us right now find our feet in the water, how might God use us when we bring our full selves forward? As Ghanaian theologian Mercy Amba Oridue says, but we do not always find women in the Bible who provide answers for the problems of today, but we do find women who inspire us to devise the answers. What answers might Lydia help us devise? Lydia responds to God with generosity. Paul and his friends learn to receive generosity. Some of us might have a hard time being generous. Others might have a hard time accepting generosity, even the generosity of God. Are we willing to admit that we don't have it all together? <laughs> that we need help sometimes, that we need a Savior? Are we willing to admit that, yes, we are called to help, and also we are called to receive help? Will you bring your whole self forward to God and see how the Spirit might prevail? Philippi becomes a place where God does incredible things, a church that Paul loves deeply, that is so deeply influential in the early church's life and in our lives today, read the book of Philippians. What a testimony to Lydia and the culture that bloomed out of her act of generosity, the church that was birthed in her kitchen because she showed up. Philippi was a colony of Rome, a leading city. It was an outpost of Roman soil itself. And later, the church there would become its own colony of heaven. They would live gen with generosity and joy, even in hardship. They would become a place where heaven met earth, where citizens of Rome became citizens of the kingdom of God and an example to the world of what God can do. A Roman outpost in Macedonian soil becomes a kingdom outpost on Roman soil. And it almost didn't happen. But the persistent spirit of God prevailed like a river cutting a canyon and the world was never the same. See, stewardship, how we care for who we are and what we have, it's a response to the change that God can bring to our lives and can be a catalyst for more change. Will you care for who you are and what you have? Will you bring your full self before God and see what God might do? As we end this morning, I want to ask you to consider these three questions. How is God calling you to be generous? 
How is God calling you to receive generosity? And are you willing to accept the generous gift of life that is given to you by our Lord? Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.